Easter. He is risen. That's such a churchy thing. Like, I mean, anybody outside of church would be like, what are you talking about? Right? Such a churchy thing. I love Easter, though. I really do. It's one of my favorite times of year. I love the whole thing about it. Uh, I, I love the new life that we celebrate. Right? I love the story behind the reason that we need to have this new life. Do you know that? Do you know that story? Like, like from the beginning stages of the Bible throughout. It talks about our need for a new life. And then Jesus comes in and he deals with the stuff that gets in way of the good new life he wants for us. He dies and we're like, oh, it's a bummer. What happened? And then it's like completely turns around. Right? Three days later, new life. And there's hope for our new life. There's hope for us. There's hope for you. There's hope for me, even. I mean, can you believe that? Right? There's hope. And Easter, uh, every time I think about Easter, I think about one thing. It reminds me of cheesecake. Yeah, cheesecake. Cheesecake. It reminds me of cheesecake. In fact, this, this story right here is at the very root of the problem with us as human beings. I'm going to show you what I mean, okay? First anniversary, my wife Amanda and I, uh, we had the pleasure of being able to fly to Chicago and stay at a really fancy hotel uh, because we uh, were living in a group home that I was helping to manage, and we had a couple rooms in the upstairs of this giant house, um, and we had to stay there rent-free. They bought our groceries. Um, she was working at Northwestern College, my sugar mama, and I was going to school. And so we had all this money and no kids, and no expenses, and so we were like, let's go. Let's fly to Chicago. So we did. We flew to Chicago, stayed at this nice restaurant, did some great shopping, saw the sights, but our last stop was at a cheesecake factory. Anybody familiar with Cheesecake Factory? I didn't know this at the time, but like you could actually have a real meal there. Like I didn't care. I was like, I wasn't going to go and eat cheesecake, um, but yeah, you can actually have a meal. So we had a meal. We ate this big meal. We ate too much of it. You ever do that? Go down and you sit there. It's like, this is so good. I'm just going to eat all of it. And we're really full. And then at the end, I was like, well, we're here at the Cheesecake Factory. I'm going to eat this cheesecake. I'm going to shove it down my face. And I'm going to eat it because we are here. Uh, our last day that we're before we flew out. And so I did. And then I was just miserable because I was so full. Right? You're thinking Thanksgiving right now, aren't you? You sit there. You're so miserable. You ate too much. Can't even enjoy it. M Amanda who is much smarter than I am, which is no surprise to anyone, uh, she had a plan. She was like, well, I'm too full now, but I really want to enjoy this ooey, gooey, chocolatey thingy cheesecake. And um, I, so what she decided to do is to take it with her. You know, they created these little things, they're little containers that you can put food in, like if you had too much at a restaurant. No one's ever had too much at a restaurant. Okay, you have too much and you can take it with you. And so she did. She took it with her. Um, she, in the cab ride to the Chicago airport, she had it sitting on her lap. We checked in and went through the security to the airport. She carried this cheesecake on her lap in the plane as we took off, in flight, landed, everything. Uh, on our little cab ride from the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport to our house in St. Paul, or our apartments there, um, she carried it on her lap. She put it in our little, little uh, dorm-sized fridge, you know, those little ones, and she put it there. And then the next day, she had to go to work, and so she did. And uh, I, <laughs> you church people are so judgy, unbelievable, I can't even tell the story, you're already judging me. 
So the next day, she goes to work, and I work a split shift at the group home where I'm serving people with mental and physical disabilities, thank you very much, <laughs> doing my part, love those people, uh, and, I, and then I have off during the day to do classes and stuff because I was in school, and I go to have lunch, and I open up the refrigerator, and there's a cheesecake. It's sitting right there, but do you know what? I remembered Amanda was waiting for a special time to have that cheesecake. Right, she was waiting for the right day, the right time that she could fully enjoy that. And so I left it alone. Don't you feel bad for judging me now? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Second day comes along, cheesecake's still there. Third day. Third day, I go get something to eat, cheesecake's still there. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, when is she going to eat this thing? Right? It's sitting here waiting for, to be eaten, and she hasn't eaten it. Has she forgotten about it? Does she not want it anymore? What's the shelf life on cheesecake? Like, how, at what point does this thing go bad, and then no one enjoys it? So I took it out of the refrigerator. I opened up the lid, and I ate all of the cheesecake, and it was delicious. It was still good cheesecake. But Amanda came home looking for the cheesecake, and there was no cheesecake. And I told her, well, I ate the cheesecake. And she, to this day, I had to get permission to share this story because she's still angry at me uh, 19 years later uh, about this cheesecake. But here's the thing. This, this is the root problem of humanity. It is, right from the beginning. Let's just take a journey with me, and we'll see that nothing has changed since the very beginning in the first two humans, okay? The beginning. In the beginning, God creates, he makes what? Some of you know this. The heavens and the earth, right? He makes the heavens and the earth, and that is good. He creates light, and that is good. He creates this land to come up out of the water, and that is good. He creates the vegetation, and that is good. Creates all these animals that scurry around and fly through the air and all that, and that is good. He creates this little garden, and he creates these two human beings, and he says, that is good. Who has determined what is good so far in this story? God has determined what is good. And, and for these two human beings, he created them in his own image to be like him, to rule and reign, to take this garden and partner with God to spread the goodness of this garden throughout the rest of the world, to make the world a better place. But there's one thing that God said wasn't good. See, there was a couple trees right in the middle of this garden. There's a tree of life. That was good. And then there was this tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And he didn't say the tree was bad. He said that it wouldn't be good for them to eat from this because bad things would happen. So they know that even though the tree is right there, it would not be good for them to eat from that tree. They've heard it, they've experienced, they've walked around this tree, but then something happens where there's this weird spiritual being, serpent-like thing that shows up. We don't know what to do with this thing, but it's talking. And it's talking to Eve. And he's talking about, well, what would be so bad about 
taking and eating from that. Don't you, don't you know that you would be able to be like God? You would see things the way God would see things, and you would have his wisdom. And he's got to be thinking, well, we're going to take this garden thing, and we're going to spread it throughout all the earth. Wouldn't it be good for us to have this knowledge of good and bad? And what happens? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. The woman was convinced. She saw, notice, she saw through her eyes. She saw that the tree was beautiful. This is a good-looking tree. It's very big, lots of leaves. And its fruit looked delicious. Look at that fruit. I wonder what the shelf life is on that fruit. Eventually, it's going to you know, get so ripe, it's just going to fall to the ground and rot, and nobody's going to be able to eat it. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some. She opened the lid to the container. She ate it. She gave some to her husband that was there with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed some fig leaves together and they covered themselves. You ever stop to think about this? Right? Stop and think about, like, why all of a sudden are they feeling shame? Because early in the story, we learned that, you know, they're walking around nude and they felt no shame with one another. But now all of a sudden, this knowledge of good and bad, they feel shame towards one another. How did that happen? They have differing views of what's good and bad, don't they? They now start to see each other as different. And maybe there's a little bit of shame in that. I don't look like her, and I don't look like him. We're different. Maybe there's a bit of insecurity going on there. Because, man, he looks really muscular, and I don't know, maybe he's going to try to rule over me. Or, look at her, she's so beautiful don't know what to do with this, and maybe she's going to try to rule over me. There's a separation that starts happening, and there's this lack of trust with one another. How are they going to treat me, and how should I treat them? They have differing views of what is good and what is bad. That's the reason the shame and insecurity and the lack of trust sets in. That fruit was their cheesecake. This is why it makes me think of this cheesecake. There's something there that looked really good. I convinced myself that I should eat this, even though I knew someone was waiting for it. She was convinced that she should take from the tree, even though she knew God had said, hey, don't eat from that. Bad things are going to happen. Nothing has changed, has it? We all have our cheesecake. We all have a life that we picture for ourselves, and we have determined what it would look like if it were good, don't we? And we make our whole life orienting around what that good as we determine it for ourselves. And we go for it. And maybe we like some things that God says and it fits into that picture, and then the other stuff that God says that doesn't fit in that picture, we just kind of ignore that. What is good? You know, Jesus talked about this very thing. He, he had this story, I believe, anyway, uh, in my humble opinion, that he had this story in mind when he said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. 
Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Let me just talk about that for a second, right? Let's think about it. She sees this, but is her eyes good? It's been altered a bit. But if your eye is good and what you're looking at is good, then it fills your whole body with light. All of your motivations, your desires, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, they're all illuminated. And they're all lined up and it's good. But, verse 23, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. So if your eye isn't looking at the right thing, it's bad. It's going to fill all of those desires and will and all of the thoughts. It's going to be dark. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Let's put it back in our terms, right? If the good you see in front of you is actually bad, how bad is that? You're, you're convinced that this good is good, but it's really actually bad. How bad is it going to be for you if you continue to go after that good? Think about the relationships that you're going to damage. You open up that thing of cheesecake and you eat it when somebody else is waiting to have that and savor it. Still angry about it to this day. <laughs> but we do this like, in seriousness, right? We, we, when we go for something and sometimes we are convinced that this is the good way to go, but it's really bad and it damages all those people around us. It gets really hard, doesn't it? So how do we know... Right? How can we know that the good we're looking at is actually good in God's eyes? Who's the one that determines that's good? God determines what's good. So how can we know that the good we are looking at, the good we're striving for, is the same good that God would say is good? How do we know that? Well, there's another story I want to share with you uh, from the Bible, and it's going to get at a deeper Another thing that comes alongside with this whole idea about um, being convinced of what is good in our own eyes, um, it's actually this uh, other royal figure um, in the Bible, uh, a guy that has come to power in his 20s, and he ruled only for about 16 years. Um, and it was in a time where this kingdom that once was united had split apart between these two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom had Jerusalem and this God's temple, God's very house, like that's where God's presence was. And uh, this king ruled in that kingdom, in the southern kingdom. His name is King Ahaz. And King Ahaz, um, he was pretty convinced that going the way that he was going was good and that he could rule on his own without God's help. In fact, time after time, God was inter trying to intercede and speak to him through different prophets to show him, hey, I'm with you, just trust in me, this is what's good, what you're doing is not good, do this instead, right? Trust in me, I'm going to show that, I, that I'm with you. And he, all along his way, in the 16 years of his rule, he continued to do what the Bible says is uh, evil in the Lord's sight, bad in the Lord's sight. He continued to do that. He, he was convinced that he could do things his own way. What he saw was good, we look at and go like, how could he possibly see that was good? 
but he was convinced in his own mind. He uh, was under a threat of the northern kingdom coming and invading his kingdom, right? And so to help to uh, push them away, he made an alliance with another group of people, these Assyrians, and he took money right out of God's own temple to fund it, to make this treaty with this other king that ultimately will come back and defeat him. So that didn't work out so well. But he's still so convinced uh, that what he is doing is right, that as he experiences this other kingdom, excuse me, he sees that um, they've got some ways of worshiping that are really intriguing. And so he takes um, the things that are in God's temple, this holy temple, he takes those altars out and replaces them with these other altars that he sees for these other gods. He um, even goes to this place. Uh, it's down in a valley. It's called the Valley of uh, Hinnom. Uh, some of us remember this, as Jesus talked about this in his Sermon on the Mount, that this destruction that we can create creates this, what the Bible uh, interprets as hell. But it's really this Valley of Hinnom where people are making these sacrifices um, to these other gods, and they are convinced that it would be good to take their own children, their sons, and sacrifice them to this god through fire and burning them up. That's who... King Ahaz is. But we don't see sometimes is how often God continues to intervene and say, I want to show you something. When that northern kingdom was trying to invade, God showed up to him in the prophet, with a prophet, came and spoke with him to say, listen, it's not going to happen. I am with you here. Just trust in me. Right? I know you're afraid. I know you're feeling like insecure. Well, it's going to happen, but trust in me. I'm not going to allow it to happen if you would just do the good that I am showing you to do, right? And uh, uh, the prophet will even say, hey, go ahead and call for a sign. Tell God that you want proof that he's here with you, right? Name a sign, any sign, and make it as difficult as you want. How many of you would love to have that opportunity, right? You're going through something that's so hard and so deep and you just feel so afraid, or you feel so overwhelmed, and you're like, I just don't feel like God is here at all. Ever experienced that? Like, where is God in all of this? And then you have somebody saying, like, listen, go ahead and come up with anything you want that would prove to you that God is with you. Make it as hard as you want, and God's going to do it. Wouldn't you love that opportunity? Ahaz gets this opportunity, and he's, nah, I'm not going to do it. Doesn't want it. Rejects it. And this is where Isaiah the prophet comes in, and he says this to, to him in Isaiah 7, verse 13. Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? Is that even possible? Right? Exhausting God's patience? Like, I don't actually want to find out. I don't want to like, push his boundary to be like, yeah, I'm wearing out God's patience. But that's that's kind of the imagery that we get here from Isaiah. Like, listen, I'm frustrated with you. Now you're frustrating God. Verse 14, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, all right, I'm going to show you what's good. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Does this sound familiar? We've heard this before. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 actually refers to this as Jesus is the fulfillment of this very thing. 
Jesus is the one who is Emmanuel, who is the God with us, right here, right now. And Jesus gets it. He understands this. But what's the big problem here? What's the big issue, right? That's, that's the question. How can we know that the good we're looking at is really good in God's eyes? Well, there's a deeper issue. It all comes down to the cheesecake. What did I want? I wanted to eat the cheesecake. It comes down to the tree, the knowledge of good and bad. What did Adam and Eve want? They wanted to determine what was good and bad with their own wisdom. What did King Ahaz really want? Did he want the good life that God was offering to him? Nope. He wanted the life that he saw was good even though it brought a lot of destruction for other people. In fact, his grandson is going to repeat the same things, exactly, all of the same things that King Ahaz does. So it really comes down to these two things. And it starts with, do you want? Do you want the good life that God is offering to you? Or do you want the life that you determine is good? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one because it addresses, well, if I do want the good life that God is offering to me, how can I know that this is good? And it all comes down to God being with us. And if you are in a place where you're like, yeah, I actually really am seriously considering wanting the good life that God is offering me, how do I get there? Well, Jesus addresses this actually post-resurrection. After he died and he is brought back to life, he brings his disciples together and he speaks to them. And he talks to them in this way, Matthew 28, verse 18. I have been given all authority, where? In heaven and earth. What did God make? What's the first thing? He created heaven and earth, and now Jesus has authority over all of heaven and all of earth. Therefore, go and make. This is new creation type of language, people. This is not forceful, hey, do this this way. It is, we are creating, we are making other people to see the good, that the life that uh, God has for them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all people. People don't look like you, people don't talk like you, people have completely different cultural backgrounds than you. Like us Americans, like we were not in first century Jerusalem, right? We get to be a part of that. All nations. Bring them into this community of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. How? Immersing them. Right? Baptizing them into this new community. And then he says, go and teach. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And do what? Guess what? Jesus says what? Emmanuel. God with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. If you really want the good life that God offers to you, it's there, it's available for us, each and every one of us. And if we really go like, you know, I really do want that, but I'm afraid. It brings up some insecurity. What if you're going to ask me to sell all my possessions? Give it to the poor and come follow you. Jesus did that. He, he asked people to do that. 
What, what if it means that I have to completely change the way that I think? Yeah, well, Paul understood that because he wrote about that. That's part of that early church type of movement, being renewed, having a new mind. What, 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 what if you are asking me to serve in a way so scary? I'm not sure how to do it. It's okay. I am with you. There is hope. There's hope in this resurrection, this new life that God is offering to you. It's good life. And as you're considering this, right, as you're just, I want you to consider. I don't want you to make any rash decisions. I want you to consider, do you really want the good life that God offers to you? And if you do, then let's move forward with thinking about how can we know that this good life is that, that we're actually living it, okay? As the music team comes up, I want you to, to listen to these words or sing them, if you know that, as a way of directing you, of hearing the whole story of what Jesus did to offer you the good life that God wants you to have. And then consider, is that really what I want? Do I want the good life that God is offering, the way that he determines what is good, or do I want to continue with the life that I've determined to be good? And I'll just hope for the best. So take some time to take these words in um, and hear the whole story about Jesus before you make your decision. All right, did you hear the story? All the things that Jesus did. He, he saw that as a good life. That his life in doing what his father's will was, that was the good that God determined for him and he lived it out. Do you want the life, the good life that God has offered to you? Well, there's hope. He's here. He's here to come alongside you uh, and help you to live this good life. You don't have to do it just on your own. Uh, in fact, we'd like to walk alongside you. We have a message series coming up called Everyday Wisdom because we need wisdom every day. Uh, and it is going through this letter that James wrote. Jesus' half-brother who at first thought, man, this guy's crazy, and now says, I am going to live the good life that he has offered for me to live. And uh, it, it had major consequences for him. Uh, but he continued to live out that good life. And so if you are looking to move forward in that good life, come back. Come back next week. We're going to start this message series, whether you watch online or whether you watch in person. And I send you out here now to go and experience that good life that that Jesus offers to you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your sacrifice and your new life that you offer to us. Help us to see your good, how you determine what is good for our life. Jesus, it's in your name that we gather. It's in your name that we give you praise. It's your name that we go. It's your name that we pray. Amen.